1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more, to subscribe, and while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST. Save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love! 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 And I'm Finn Wolfhard. You are not. You are Scott Wampler. I am Scott Wampler. Yes. And we are your hosts. Today, we (laughs) welcome back the man who started it all around these parts. He was our very first guest. And now he's back nearly three years later to dive into one of the Otter Stephen King titles, Chinga, a standalone episode from season five of The X-Files, all about an evil doll that loves to make people self-harm i guess i don't know we'll get into that a little bit later he's an oscar nominated screenwriter uh, a dang singing dancing superhero and one of the funniest dudes you'll ever have the pleasure to meet he also has a good taste in thai food i might add everybody please welcome our good friend kumail nanjiani back to the king cast stage hello thank you so much for having me a real honor to be here talking about the chinga episode of the x-files my favorite show of all time i know the- yeah we originally the plan we, we were getting you and emily where is Emily? What's going on? What happened? Emily's, you know, Emily's got very strict office hours that she doesn't shake for anything. And Fair. so especially now she's on like deadline and stuff. You know, this uh, WGA strike that's coming up is really freaking out a lot of people, including her. So she's just got a lot of stuff that she needs to get done and turn in before before that happens. Well, I suppose that's fair. Right. <laughs> but that's why we brought in a substitute, Emily. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. No, I'm, I'm just <laughs> Zoe Kazan is here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she's watched one episode of The X Files. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny that you brought up the, the Thai food thing, Eric, mm-hmm. because I was thinking about that earlier today. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we did an event out in LA. When was that? Fucking December. December? Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had lunch with with uh, Kamel and Emily. Um, and just earlier today, while I was I was rewatching Chinga, the best X Files episode of all time, obviously, um, <laughs> I was thinking about that fucking pad tie again. This is, <laughs> I swear to Christ, the fr- I I I, and I've messaged you about this, Kamel, that I that I cannot shake the thought of this uh, this pad tie from my mind, but I am. The next time I'm in L.A., that is the first place I am going back to. Delicious. It's one of those places that's just like sort of an L.A. institution. And uh, we go, you know, it's it's I think it's the only place I can think of that we've been going since we moved here about 13 years ago. We went right as we got here and now we go every few months. For a while, there was a big group of comedians that would go. 
Steve Agee, who you know, Jonah mm-hmm. Ray. So there was like a big group that would go every other month or so. And now we haven't done it in a while, but yeah, it's it's one of those places. I'm glad and what's the name like, of this place again? It's called Jitlada. Jitlada. And LA people will be very familiar with it. Yeah. I made the mistake once where I was I was there for the first time and I was like, you know, I go to a Thai restaurant, I ask for Thai spicy. They say, you mm-hmm. sure you don't mean American spicy? And I'm like, no, give me fucking Thai spicy. And I went there and people had warned me and the menu warns me. And I said, give me the max, max oh, no. spicy yeah, you can yeah. do. And they uh, had a point to prove because it was full of broken glass and like the <laughs> teeth of a dragon. It was so, I had to go into the car and sit on my own to like put my life back together because I also got that you they also have milkshakes so I got a mango milkshake which you can also get spicy so I got a spicy mango milkshake and so it's this cold thing that you think is gonna help but it just fucks things up worse I sat in the car in my own sweat for 40 minutes and I never made that mistake again do you do when you eat something that's too spicy are you like a retcher? Or are you like a crier or like, how do you walk me through this? Like, what's your, it's not, Mm. it's not a retcher. It's a, it's really a sweaty and snotty old time. That's what it is. I'm real sinusy. I'm that, but I also hiccup. I hiccup when I eat something too spicy. Yeah, that can happen to me. That happens to my dad all the time and Mm. it can come in. And to me, that's the worst of it. Cause I'm one of those people that like I can get a hiccup and hiccup for hours. Right. And once I saw an interview with a guy who had been hiccuping for 11 years. Yeah. And it sounds hilarious, but this guy was absolutely miserable. I would and kill myself. Each time I get hiccups, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, that's, this is it. I'm going to be that guy now. Do you so know what? I, I can tell you a very simple solution to curing hiccups. Yeah. Why don't you, you tell me if guy. you feel like you would be receptive to it? Yes, of course. Okay. So someone taught me this a long time ago, and it's going to sound insane, but I, I promise you it works. Um, he he was like, okay, when you get hiccups, like, look at that wall over there, right? And I'm like, right. And he's like, see that? Can you, like, focus in on a spot on this wall? Like a tiny little, the tiniest thing you can find, you know? Look around a room, find the the tiniest thing you, you could focus your attention on and focus all your attention on that and just stare at it. And it works. It like takes your mind off the hiccuping itself. I've used this a thousand times over. Hmm. Maybe not a thousand. Interesting. Maybe... What's only the only thing that's worked for me is a big, huge tablespoon full of sugar. And that's like an, a southern remedy that emily Mm -hmm. knows of and that has worked for me but i don't know i'm sure this guy's been staring at you know very small spots on a wall for (laughs) 11 years and um i I just i just know well do you uh, want the empty calories or do you want to look at a wall that's well that's a question we're asking i'll tell you wampler this is gonna surprise no one but still somehow disappoint you uh (laughs) i have done it with sugar substitute zero calorie (laughs) And it works just as Which well. Which one? Like Splenda? No, you could. I have done Splenda because Emily has packets of Splenda in her purse. And so I've had to like <laughs> open 10 packets of Splenda at the same time and shove them into my mouth because we were in the car. Mm. 
But I, I, you know, I, I've done it with monk fruit sweetener. I've done. I mean, you you name it. I've I've monk done it fruit with fruit sweetener. Yeah, that's kind another. Of... That's a natural sweetener from the monk sounds fruit. Sounds like Hollywood. <laughs> sounds like Hollywood nonsense to me. It, I'm be I guarantee you, it is Hollywood nonsense. <laughs> so is it? So in that in that case, Jesus Christ, we're eating into our time. But like, <laughs> so is it just the powder? Then you think. I think what it is, is it's so unpleasant to have like your mouth full of a very strong flavor like sugar mm. that it sort of messes up your breathing and causes convulsions. Like you have to do an amount of sugar that is very, very uncomfortable. Um, mm. And that's what works. So, yeah, it's not what's in it. I think it's the way your body reacts to it. And mm. it's worked for me. It's worked for me every time. Because I think like your diaphragm is spasming or something. I don't right. know. Google. So, I mean, I've hiccuped so many times. You'd think I'd Google what a fucking hiccup <laughs> was. I don't See, know what it is. Other than this like is, my body rebelling against me. This right. is why I always keep an ounce of cocaine in the house. Yeah. You okay. just shovel it in, swallow it down. You're not feeling anything for about 10 minutes. It's great. And it's great. It's good for you. It's good for you. And it's good for you. And it's you also I mean? no calories. Yeah. <laughs> Are there calories in cocaine? <laughs> there, there are, but it's like celery. You know how it's more calories to yes. ingest it? Yes. <laughs> to like the process of digesting it. So you're like in a, a deficit. Yeah. I'm sure mm. that's 100% true. When you're the, on your ceiling, like working for a dream, thing. vacuuming your, your ceiling or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All the um, cocaine in Austin has been stepped on with baby laxative like 15 times over. <laughs> Uh, I have heard this from other people. Certainly, I wouldn't know. Um, and it is it is it is awful, and just makes you need to shit immediately. Um, so I'm going to have to look into the baby laxative calorie count before I can completely <laughs> trust. I'm this, sh- I'm sure that's pretty low too. Um, anyway, <laughs> let me host this fucking podcast for you guys. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. What are your uh, uh, respective histories with the X Files in Ooh. terms of fandom? Ooh, good. It, Eric, please. This is really good, and this kind of ties into something I want to talk about when we get dig into the show proper. Um, I loved it when it aired. Like, I was a weekly viewer. Like, I watched it religiously when it aired. Um, uh, the, the movies have not been great. Uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. I was somebody who actually, like, really preferred the, what, Ch- like, Chinga is. I, I preferred the Monster of the Week stuff to the overarching, um you know, a uh, uh, alien abduction conspiracy, what happened to Mulder's sister and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I just, I, I hadn't seen anything like this and I was a monster kid. So of course I'd loved this stuff, but I haven't revisited any of these original ep- episodes. I realized when I loaded this up, I haven't like gone back and rewatched it. Probably I've watched some like maybe in the two thousands, uh, but it's been, yeah, I watched the new series that uh, Kumail, you were on. Yeah, there was uh, one after that as well. There was one after the one you were on? Yeah, there have been two. There was a sequel to that one. Because that <laughs> one did huge numbers. Like it yeah. was like the biggest show on TV. Then they did another season. Um, th- and uh, and then that was it. I watched it huge then and like I just super yeah. into it. And uh, uh, but well, I haven't I haven't revisited it until watching Chinga, and it struck me watching this in like I was just hit by this wave of nostalgia. Yeah. Um, well, I'll yeah. tell you, the show really, really holds up. 
And Chinga may not be the episode to convince you of that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Because uh, I, was, I was actually talking with Wampler beforehand where I was just like, I was hit by two major feelings. One, that wave of nostalgia, not just of like seeing Mulder and Skull, even though they're like, there's only not one together. scene. In the, yeah, there's one scene in it where they're together, uh, but they're split for the rest of the the, the, the show. Um, but not just seeing them, not just like, oh, this is, you know, Chris Carter dialogue or whatever, you know, uh-huh. the, the feeling of it. But like just the cars and the fashion. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's my teenage years. Like yeah. instantly just wrapped up there, you know, the high waisted jeans on on women like kind of the ugly you know boxy cars that you know i'm like oh that was my first car you know uh i was hit by that nostalgia but then i was also watching it going oh this is super cheesy and and not great and so i was just like so i'm i was both nostalgic for it but i was also like oh man do i not like the x-files really is this not gonna hold up if i if i go back to watch the other one so it's good you it will hold up but you have to watch the right episodes. I mean, there's a lot to parse through what you just said because I've watched the series four times Mm. and I always stop somewhere around season seven because that's when, you know, after that Mulder and Scully leave and the show really sort of falls apart. But I want to hear, Wampler, what's your history with it? And then I want to talk about a bunch of things that Eric said to contextualize this Mm. episode. Very well. Yes. Um, Yes. I was... The show had been airing for, I I think, a couple of seasons, and my mom was really into it. And then, like, my best friend at the time, he was really into it and kept trying to get me to watch it. And so I think I came into it around that time, and then I became, like, a super fan. And uh, me and this dude, we went, we were, like, you know, 16 years old or something like that. And went to a, an X-Files convention in Dallas, Texas. I remember it was near uh, Dallas Lobe Field. Uh, and uh, I wore a suit and a tie. Like an absolute <laughs> fucking nerd. And <laughs> and um, and you were the only nerd there? Yeah, uh, as far as I could tell. Uh, <laughs> besides, besides Mitch Pileggi. And I... God, I managed to there was a big stage and they were like bringing people out here and there to like do stuff on the stage. Right. And the lone gunman. Well, no, it wasn't all three of them, but uh, Dean Hagland, you know, the that guy uh, Langley from the, the lone gunman, the lone gunman are like a trio of conspiracy theorists who got their own spinoff series from the X-Files. Anyway, yes. that guy was there. He came up on stage and was like, I need a volunteer. And I volunteered and I went up on stage and did like a, like a bit with that guy on stage where like he told a story and I was supposed to provide the sound effects. Wow. And because I was because I was a rebellious teenager, of course, I did the opposite of whatever the sound effect <laughs> should be. Fucking monster. The uh, <laughs> the crowd loved it. He loved it. I fucking killed. OK. All right. I take yeah. it back. Yeah. Um. He was like, and so and so slammed the door, and I'd go, <laughs> like, like that kind of shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I stuck with it for uh, some years. I remember when this episode aired, uh, but eventually I fell off. I felt like um, the first movie was kind of a a a, a dent in the armor. Um, the latter movie that I saw was certainly. Uh, not so much a dent in the armor, but felt more like a car wreck. And no. uh, I watched some of the reboot season they did where Duchovny and Anderson came back. Um, 
and it was like I don't I don't know. It felt like they weren't really recapturing the magic. I I didn't I didn't love it like I used to, and I just kind of felt like, well, maybe, yeah, maybe this is where we go our separate ways. But I definitely felt that nostalgia that that Eric is talking about uh, rewatching this episode earlier today. Well, so I'll I'll tell you guys my sort of obviously I'm like the biggest X Files yeah. nerd here. Mm-hmm. Um, you so, should maybe mention that for for years for for anyone who's not listening that you hosted a podcast about the X Files. Yeah, I hosted a podcast called The X Files Files, and I did. I went through, I think, part uh, halfway through season four, and then I stopped because honestly, I sort of started to get to know those folks more, and I just right. felt like I couldn't really subject objectively do a podcast talking about the X Files because I'd gotten right. to know. I actually ran into Glenn Morgan, who's one of the, you know, he's not the creator, but he's really one of the people who established the voice right. of the X-Files early on. I ran into him a couple of weeks ago at the farmer's market by my house. Um, his brother, Darren Morgan, wrote some of the best episodes of the X-Files. So to contextualize, the movie that you guys are talking about comes out after this season. I like the movie a lot. I think it's really good. They shot the movie before season five, then they shot season five, but then the movie comes after the season. So this is sort of the height of the X-Files. Like yeah. season five is like, you know, it's very, very popular. I don't know when it's most popular, but this is close to it. Right. And quality wise, this is a very, very good season. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I would say the best season is probably for me, uh, season four or three, but five is certainly in the conversation. It's got right. postmodern Prometheus in there. That's my favorite episode. Yeah, this one has postmodern Prometheus in it. This one also has an uh, Folia Do, which I think is sort of an underrated, really, really great episode. Eric, if you want to like revisit the X Files mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see which, you know, just to see a couple episodes and see if you still dig it. Uh, the episode Detour is good in this season. Uh, Bad Blood is a really great episode with Luke Wilson and mm-hmm. the redhead kid from Sandlot. Um, mm. And then Folia Do, which is towards the end of the season, is really, really good. So this is sort of the Wait. X-Files is really singing at this point. It's very popular. But, you know, so the mythology, I think, you know, most people remember the mythology as being really bad. I think it was the strongest part of the X-Files until it wasn't. And it fell right. off pretty after the movie. The movie comes after this, and they really should have tied up the story in the movie and then continue either find another meta narrative or keep doing these monsters of the week, which were, you know, for the most part, really great. Yeah. But they kind of kept it going. So if you squint, the movie right after this ends the mythology in a satisfying way, but then it keeps going. Um, so I love that stuff. But the 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 you know, if you if you talk about, I think the best five X-Files episodes of all, all time to like real X-Files nerds. I think two of them would be mythology episodes, maybe even three. But the, <coughs> the Monster of the Week episodes were more uneven. So they had high highs and low lows. And I think this episode, right. Chinga, I think it was always tricky when they brought in sort of outside famous writers to try and do X-Files. You could see, you know, yeah. Chris Carter paired up with them to sort of give them the voice of it. Um, I felt like watching this. I didn't think that there was um, there wasn't much wrong with it, but maybe there also wasn't much right with it. You know, right. it just sort of this is the point where these two have been doing this show now for many years, and they've started asking for like lighter weeks. Um, that's clearly what happened here because 
because Mulder's at home and he probably shot his entire scene, all his scenes in one day. Yeah, so he's right. the one going out. It's also riffing on what we now know about their dynamic, which is, you know, he's got the crazy theories. But then she also knows a lot about witchcraft because she spent five years with this fucking guy now. Yeah. Um, I think the issue for me with this episode was it's a lot like, isn't it a lot like that um, that that Twilight Zone where they right. send, sends people to the cornfield? Yes. Um, I also think X-Files, what it does really well with these monsters of the week is escalate or have a mystery. This kind of has neither because the cold open shows a guy stabbing himself in the eye. Once you do that, that's your first kill. There's not really anywhere to go because you're not going to have anything as gnarly as that. It also is an episode that doesn't really explain what the mystery is. And some of those... Uh, X-Files doesn't always explain it, uh, but sometimes it can add to the fun of it. It makes the, you know, the world feel bigger here. It just felt a little bit unsatisfying. It's the, the, the doll is magical. It's not quite hundred percent clear what the doll does makes people harm themselves, but we don't really know what the witchcraft behind it or anything is. Right. Right. Well, and it doesn't like one of the townspeople, like they think that the mother is the witch because she has like ties to to Salem or something like her genealogy goes back there or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I was kind of interpreting this and maybe I'm totally off base here that the vision she was seeing was like her actually being like daughter of, of like, you know, multiple generations or whatever of, of like witchcraft. So like the, her seeing the future, cause only, it's only ever the mother that sees the glimpses of people who are about to die. And see yeah. Like and then the, calling the it doll out. says, let's have fun. Let's have fun. Yeah. Um, and, and then the doll like does the, that <laughs> I, I fucking have to laugh at it, but it's like, you know, there's those shots in the child's play movies where they, where they use like a little person in the Chucky outfit for like far away shots. So because they can't use an animatronic or whatever, there's a couple of shots in here where they have either a child or a little person in this doll outfit, like that kind of stands and like walks. And it's, it's really ridiculous. Cause the doll is a very small. Doll. It's small. Right. Yeah. It then suddenly Megan shows up, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, and so like, yeah, it, it's, I get what you're saying where the kind of mythology is, is kind of all over the place here. You don't not really understand if the, is the doll like making the, the daughter a brat or, you know, because it really did feel like at the beginning, it wasn't, it wasn't an evil doll that it was like you said, like that twilight zone episode where it's just, this kid has the power. If you don't piss off the kid, don't make the kid angry, you know, or they're going to lash yeah. out and, and, you know, do something crazy. Um, well, they also introduce into the mythology of it that the kid is autistic. Oh Which, yeah, it, it, the kid's yeah. got toys in the attic. I was like, I've never right. heard that phrase right. before. And I will say that if you give any kid a doll with superpowers, they will turn evil. So, <laughs> yes. Right. I don't. But think- as I was, as I was, and and by the way, "Toys in the Attic" is the name of an Aerosmith album. Uh, so it, like that is definitely a phrase. I'm I'm mortified. You don't know your Aerosmith history right now, but we'll move on from that. But what is it about <laughs> autism that that album? No, I, I don't think that's. I like, doubt I, it, Wampler. I remember as a fucking like as a kid hearing that expression and asking my mom what it meant, and she said, "Oh, it means like crazy." And then I was watching this, and it was like, "Oh, toys in the attic," and and Scully is immediately like, uh, "Oh, she's so she's autistic." And I was like, 
That's not what my mom told me. I, I don't think, think your that's mom what it means. is right. I think your mom is right, and Scully is because I did look it up, and it does say the the description of it is someone who's you know what your mom said. Like it's what does it mean to have toys in the attic? It's a euphemism for insanity. It's yes, yeah, yeah that's yes. kind of how I'd heard it. But this is also like. It's it's interesting to note from a King perspective, because this is also right around the time that he wrote The Regulators, which sort of hinges on like a kid who has autism. I think that I, I think that this was his autism kid phase. You're saying, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah, this was the autism era for for Stephen King. I, I think that. um, I don't know, somewhere along the line, he got it into his head that this is a thing I can incorporate into my stories. He has not done it since. I don't think. Do you think he's learned his lesson? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Cause Holly Gibney jumps to mind, but Holly, as oh, that's true. But like, yeah, as she's written. It's she, I think the way that Holly Gibney's portrayed in the outsider HBO series, the Jason Bateman one is a little mm-hmm. bit more, traditional autism spectrum and i think the one that uh, he writes about is a little bit more on the ocd level you know so it's not quite straight autistic well this this plays into my ultimate point that i think that at a certain point stephen king learned what autism was (laughs) right and was like okay let's let's see what i can do with this and then took it for a test drive maybe a few times and probably I'm guessing heard some feedback on that that maybe caused him to drop that <laughs> until he fully understood it. Because well, I think yes, I think yeah. the other thing. Sorry, keep going, Walter. Well, I just want you know my final thought is like uh, I just felt like like the kid in this was an asshole. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah, necessarily... I think it's I, just an asshole. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like. The kid is, I, I mean, I guess that could be an autistic person, but I, I have friends that are autistic. You know, they're not, they're not like this, like this kid. I'm, they're not I'm making sure they're, people stab themselves in the eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm just saying he's, he's painting with a wide brush. That's, right. that's all the, I'm trying to the say. The other thing that I find to be a little tricky about it, and this happens, you know, horror uses this a lot. They were saying, as Eric pointed out, that she's descended from the witches, you know, in Salem. Now, that's a real life thing that happened. And it was a real life life tragedy. Those women were not witches. So now are they saying that those people in those towns were okay to drown all these women? It just it just sort of becomes yes. a weirdly problematic thing if you if you really pull at that thread. Well, yeah, I, I think it also the definition of like witches is is I guess different because they're definitely not painted as this woman isn't like sitting there plotting to to steal children and you know, they're not the Robert Eggers witch, you know, kind of describing they just sound like that maybe they had extrasensory powers, you know, maybe they Whatever, but they were just people. Maybe they had the shine. Who knows? Well, uh-huh. the other thing about this, it's it's true, is um, it's all th- this episode has two buys. It's that the mom can see the future deaths of people, yeah, and the doll has powers, yeah. So, so they're like, they, and they seem like unconnected things that just happen in the same house. So that feels a little weird to me. And also, the other thing that's weird that the X Files did do every now and then was. 
she goes to another town and it just happens. She's like, oh, I'm on vacation. And then suddenly guys with scratched out eyes start pouring out of the supermarket. Yeah, vacation fucking over. You well, know, she's just... wearing her I love Maine shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she got to Maine, immediately bought the T-shirt. And immediately one bought of the, the T-shirt, ran yeah, into guys of, with scratched out eyes. One of my favorite things that happens in this episode is like Scully is wearing the main t-shirt, but when the shit goes down, she's like right on and puts on the blazer. Yes. With, she's, now yeah. she's in FBI mode. No, she, yeah. she suits up. Now, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I'm out of vacation mode now. What's now, now I'm wearing the jacket. Yeah. She's like, this is my superhero outfit. This is my crime solving outfit. The other thing that's weird about it that I thought was funny that's not meant to be funny is seeing the guy with the scratched out eyes just like going about his day job with scratched out eyes. Yeah. Like, All right. So everyone in even... town knows. Let me guess. You were at Key Foods last Saturday. <laughs> but they don't have fucking scratched out eyes. This is this is no, one of my issues. With around thing. the eyes. Yes, yeah. exactly. They look like inflamed buttholes. Around the eyes, <laughs> That's but their right. their eyes are perfectly untouched. Like, yeah. who are you fooling here, Chris Carter? <laughs> right. I know what's they, going on. They just like scratch above and below the eye. Which, listen, still, that's a bad deck. Yeah, yeah, fair. Well, I actually kind of like that because you know that that was quasi interrupted, right? Because the the mom like realizes something's going down down, and she like hauls ass out of there with her kid and the evil doll, and I guess. Not in time to to uh, save the poor dude who I guess was like she was romantically involved with that stabbed his eye out like the butcher. Well, the butcher. They, then they later said the butcher was pursuing her, mm. but was already in a relationship. That's the other thing. Uh, why is everyone hitting on this woman? I mean, she seems like a nice lady, but her husband mm-hmm. just died. How small right. is this town? <laughs> Uh, which was a nice gruesome death, by the way, because we get that in flashback as we hear the story of how they found the doll, which to me, honestly, uh, as, just as a quick aside, is the creepiest part of the the thing. And it's so perfectly main. Of course, the evil is dredged up in a lobster track. Yes. You know, right. And uh, out in the bay, there's a lobster and, you know, <laughs> pulls up a trap and like, hey, look, there's a little doll. That's something for my daughter. And then like his partner goes into the cabin, then comes back out and and the dude has a fucking fish, hook, like not a fish hook, but like a uh, I know what you did last summer kind of hook like through yes. his. <laughs> through through his mouth and it's actually way gorier than i would have uh, uh remembered it being actually from from this time period this episode's uh, pretty gory yeah yeah it's like oh that's actually really fucking cool because all the other stuff is done in kind of a cheesy way like when she has her visions it's always like reflected in like yeah uh, a glass of something and so because it was like mid 90 cgi like that's how they they did it it has almost like an adventures of pete and pete feel you know to me like some nickelodeon show trying to trying to be you know spooky eerie indiana or something you know yeah um, I, see, I hear yeah uh but then that shot like the flashback there is none of that stuff you just see the fish hook and the, the blood coming out of his like in his mouth and like out of the back of his head and i'm like god damn that's some you're going pretty hard on this one yeah i think this is when the x-files was so big that they kind of got away with whatever they wanted right. i mean you know season four i believe has the most um uh infamous episode which is called home by the way that might be a good one to watch eric that's a really really great episode that's just like a great movie actually um so that might be a good one to rewatch. but yeah x-files got pretty gory and they got away with a they got away with a lot of stuff um 
But I think, you know, Scully doesn't really do very much no. in this episode. She just No, she's an just, observer. Yeah, she's an observer and it just sort of keeps happening. But again, it is so she's already a witch and then they also find a doll that has magical powers, right? Yeah. Yes. And also uh, Scully just happens to be there. Is the mom actually a witch? I mean, it's, they talk about it and she can see the future. Yeah, I mean, you could you could but, you, I don't you could know. you could make the argument that it's the doll that's that's causing the hallucinations. You know, the hallucinations or whatever yeah, yeah, because she yeah. also sees herself dead and that it almost right. happens but Scully stops it by throwing the doll in the microwave. That was my uh, take. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that was kind of my jump though, like watching it cuz there's no other reason to like keep hammering home the fact that the the family's like related to the Salem witches and and you know I guess uh, other than just showing like the bigoted neighbor that like just thinks that it's you know the religious old main lady that wants to you know to blame the mom and call her a witch or whatever. So the but other if she's thing- a witch, she's not like exerting any witch like powers. You know, she's having hallucinations, but those seem to be happening, you know, against her will. You know, she's not conjuring spirits. She's not well, reading that, from a well, book. Danny or... Torrance isn't conjuring anything, too. He's, he, but he has He's the not sight. a witch, either, is he? Well, he has the sight. You know, it's the, the shine. It's the, you know, it's a... Well, we're talking about that stuff. It's Johnny Smith's, you know, uh, in the dead zone. It's like, it's it. he writes it very, like, natural. It's not, you know, they don't have to be witches. It's just like, this is a paranormal ability they have. Yeah, and this thing, this specific thing of being able to see, prognosticate death or see how people die has shown up in a bunch of X-Files episodes. There's an episode called um, Clive Bruckman's Final Repose, which is Mm. considered by many to be the best X-Files episode. Peter Boyle won an Emmy for it. It's an absolutely fantastic episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, Peter Boyle plays this character. That's a great episode. But but that one revisit after you've seen a few, because that one's really riffing on on the show itself. Right. Um, he can see how people die and he can't control it. So it's similar to what you were you were saying, Wampler. Like when he sees someone, he just sees how they're gonna die. So he's this really depressed guy who yeah. just constantly sees how people die. There's another episode called Tithonus that was written by Vince Gilligan. That's a great episode about this photographer who didn't die when he's supposed to die and he's lived forever and he's lived so long. Now he can see, he can tell when people are going to die and he has a camera and as people are dying, he's trying to take a picture of death so he can look death in the face and finally die. That's a really great episode. Both those episodes use the, um, uh, you know, prognostication of how people are going to die. I think much more effectively than this episode does because it seems like in this episode, it's a bit of a thing that's added on just to add a creep factor to it. It doesn't right. really have very much to do with the actual supernatural of the episode, which is the doll. So I felt like it was, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that was added later in the writing process. Hmm. I wonder, do you think that that was like done intentionally to like keep it from being like another Twilight Zone episode? Like the, what's it called? The Talking oh. Tina or Tiny Tina? Could be, could be, you know, because yeah. Without that stuff, then it it's pretty much that, right? Where it's just the the cute little doll that does makes people do evil, bad things, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's know. a good point. It might be. It might what be. What do you, Kamal? What do you think in general of the the spooky doll trope? 
in mm. horror. Are you scared of a spooky doll? I think... Uh, am I scared of a spooky doll? There's some spooky dolls out there in the world. Yeah, I'm scared of a spooky doll. I thought Megan ruled. I think uh-huh. the, the... What were you scared of, Megan? I wasn't scared of Megan. I wasn't scared of Megan. I, 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 I could take Megan. What are you talking about? I wasn't scared. Um, and I think I think the Child's Play, the first two Child's Play movies are wonderful. I think Child's mm-hmm. Play in general is a little bit underrated when you think of the big horror franchises like, yeah. you know, Freddy and Jason and all that. I think Child's Play should be in the top tier of that because those first two movies are fantastic. And I know a lot of people love Bride of Chucky as well. So I, I'm i a fan of the evil doll subgenre in horror. I'm a fan. Interesting. I'm, are you not? I, no, no. Why? I, I don't I don't find them frightening. It's it's the same thing as like an exorcism movie. Like I don't believe in I don't believe there's a god and a devil. I just don't, right? So I find all of this all the 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 machinations of a uh, an exorcism kind of silly and like not scary. Wait, um, so you only like horror if you believe in the underlying supernatural thing? No, I like horror better when I believe that this is something that could happen to me. This is why I'm not. Wait, do you like Hellraiser? Yeah, of course. Do you think do you that could happen quick, to you? Do you do you know how quickly I would be suckered in by a puzzle box that could unlock BDSM fantasies? I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm fucked on <laughs> on that. You know, but a, a doll like a little like a Chucky doll or a Chinga or fucking Annabelle or. Maybe not Megan because I I assume Megan she's made could of, happen. Yes, but Megan is also made of titanium, as we learned in the movie. Yeah, and I think she would uh, stomp my ass in yeah. two seconds flat. Whereas Chucky, I feel like I'd put one heel into the middle of his forehead, and that would be the end of it. I don't I feel think like that's true. Chucky's stronger than you think. You should revisit those movies. <laughs> Chucky's small but mighty. I mean, there are grown humans trying to defeat Chucky all the time. You thought you think nobody thought in those movies to kick Chucky? My friend, they are being outwitted. I would not be outwitted. No. I mean, they're being outwitted, but they're also being outmuscled consistently. I don't know. I, if, I, would, I would kick Chucky in the face. I would kick yeah, well, in the Chucky face. Would I would come kick Chinga in the face. Yeah, yeah. maybe. But, like, yeah. I just, it's, it's just not a trope that I find frightening. And and to your question, like most of the horror movies that I really like, I would say Brad Dourif in any form. Brad Dourif in any form would kick your ass. It could, he could be in a little banana, and you have no shot against him. I don't know. Like right now, if I met Brad Dourif on the sh- uh, 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 like on the street, and okay, I the I, only I, way you could defeat Brad Dourif is one on one in real life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way. I pull out my nunchucks. It's over yeah. for Dourif. Street you know? combat. That's it. Only in a comité could you beat him. Hmm. Hmm. If I were Brad Dourif, I would have a bakery called Bread Dourif. Bread Dourif's? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's my final thought on that. Andrew. Yeah. So you specifically, listen, I completely understand not liking uh, any subgenre. You know, like I get not liking. I didn't say I don't like subgenres. I, I no, just no, no, said. No, 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 no. Any specific subgenre, I mean. Like if you say I don't like evil doll subgenre. I buy that. If you say I don't buy like Christian horror subgenre, I buy that. 
What I don't buy is your underlying reasoning that you don't believe those things could happen because I will argue that there are hundreds of horror movies you love that you know would never happen. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and, but it's and okay on the to back, dislike the, those two. On ahead. the back of that train of thought, hmm. have you ever been introduced in your life to a supposedly cursed object? I have not. Have you? <sighs> I don't oh think God. so. Oh, I thought this was going to be a <laughs> story. No, no. That's, that was it was a, like the I've summer been, of '98. <laughs> I've been in like I've been in like cursed, supposedly cursed places. Sure, like, like um, what? Like the Winchester Mystery House. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, in places like abandoned, like prisons, even like Alcatraz is supposed. Yeah, that insane cursed. asylum just outside of Austin where yeah. they screened Session Nine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I've been to places that have like you know I stayed at a place in New Zealand that used to be Peter Jackson's like main office, uh, the Wingnut offices, uh, and now it's like the Wingnut offices are in like a much fancier place. But it used to be a like uh, a boarding school for for like for kids, and before that it was like a, a an asylum for like mentally disturbed children, and I didn't know that when I stayed there, and uh, and boy sometimes. It, it had a little bit of that Winchester mystery house thing where like there's a stairwell that goes up to like a tiny landing with like one room for some reason, you know, like what the fuck is this? And why is it like the door is like huge and the room is small. It's like, it started, it started feeling like my reality was being warped in there. So I have but, been to places that are like, like that just, they, I never like saw a ghost or felt like a presence, but like it just felt off. Right. So I, I've been there, but I've yeah. never seen an object. I know that when the first Conjuring came out and um, the real Mrs. You Warren. You were dating Clea Duvall. Yeah. The what? Huh? Huh? What? What? Go what on. Clea Duvall? <laughs> what she have to do with the first Conjuring? I don't get it. She was in The Conjuring. Clea Duvall was? Yeah. Huh. Well, I learn something new every day. <laughs> um, but she, uh, I know that the real. Uh, She's like mis- the person. And oh, no, that's the craft. Yeah. The conjuring's the fucking. Okay. Yeah. 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 Never mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was just like, I don't think so. Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson. No. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But um, I know that whenever that promo was happening, like the real Warren, Warrens were like, uh, like taking reporters into their like real cursed basement or whatever and, and showing them like the real Annabelle and all that stuff. And ah, uh, I've never, this, I didn't get, which get is straight up a one. raggedy and doll. It is like just a, a, a glass doll. case. Yeah. Are they alive still? I, I the doll, the, the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Clea Duvall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she's still around. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think, uh, the husband died, and I think she died recently. I, you know, I feel going back to what you were saying, Wampler, about sort of um, horror. That's I know we're getting a little bit off topic of this episode, but horror that's demons and sort of Christian religion horror. Mm-hmm. I I find it a little distasteful when they'll take real events where there have been instances where someone has. Um, killed a little girl trying to exercise a demon from her, mm. right? Like, oh, right, the family's right, killed right. her. 
And then yeah. sometimes they've made a movie that shows that the girl really was possessed and all this. And I'm like, I, I find that distasteful because right. in reality, these people just killed an innocent little girl who may have had some mental health issues, you know? Right. I, she obviously wasn't possessed. So I, I find that stuff... I find that stuff a little weird, like the, the way that the, the witch thing was tied into into in this one. Um, and I have brought it back into this episode in a masterful, masterful fashion. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, beautiful. It's almost like you had an X-Files podcast. Once. <laughs> yeah, I think, again, the also, by the way, you guys said I heart Maine, that shirt. They also take shots at, she says, there's that New England hospitality I've heard so much about. Like, mm-hmm. is that a stereotype? Are they rude there? I don't think so. No, they were delightful. Yeah, we were right my experience they were. Um, I don't. Part of that might be the whole script process where, you know, maybe Chris Carter was getting fed up with Stephen King or something and he threw in some shit. Cause, oh, interesting. Cause, because I remember I had, I was so into the X-Files as a teenager that like, I remember I was gifted like one Christmas, the X-Files companion. You remember that? Where it was like just this book that had like details of every episode and like pretend like X-Files case files and stuff. Of course. In there. And uh, and I remember reading something there and then Wikipedia is backing me up, you know, on the quick search now where like Stephen King apparently wanted to write an episode because he was a fan of the show and said, I want to write an episode and then did... <sighs> Uh, and then Chris Carter's like, no, this doesn't work. And and rewrote it. And apparently, like, what they say is, like, most of what Stephen King wrote uh, outside of, like, the broad strokes of, like, the setup right. uh, was essentially just rewritten by Chris Carter, who didn't think that he got, like, the Mulder and, and Scully voice right, because originally it was Mulder and Scully there together <laughs> and, and uh, all this stuff. Um, so I wonder how much of this is actually just Chris Carter, because I honestly, I don't. As somebody whose main job is to uh, examine the works of Stephen King, I don't really feel his voice very strong here. Other I was going to ask you guys that. How does uh, it feel in the? It's oof. it's in it's in the nuts and bolts of it, but it's not like I don't know. It feel it feels to me like the sensation I got watching it again this morning was someone trying to do Stephen King, right? So of course we're going to set it in Maine. Someone's going to say, "Hey, yeah." Uh, at some mm-hmm. time, at some point, uh, or uh, or however the fuck you say that. Um, but it didn't feel like there's no resolution to it. There's no, I didn't feel like any of the heart that usually comes through with Stephen King. Um, this may be symptomatic of the fact that it's only like, you know, it's broadcast television. Series. Right. It's only 44 minutes long, but, um, it definitely didn't feel like a straight up King thing to me. And so it, immediately after I watched it, I went on the Wikipedia and looked it up and saw all that shit and was like, Oh, well that explains it. Yeah. Well, I didn't see that. So they did not write it together. Stephen King wrote it and then Chris Carter rewrote him and that's how it went down. <clears throat> yeah. Here's a quote from the uh, director, Kim Manners. I was very excited to be able to direct a Stephen King piece And when it was all said and done, there was very little Stephen King left in it. The nuts and bolts were his, but that was really one of Chris's scripts. Ah, okay. Kim Manners, by the way, was one of the great X-Files directors. Oh, yeah. A lot of great episodes, and he passed away away quite young. Um, And the new show actually has uh, pays homage to him. So that's interesting because probably what happened is – 
you know, they're doing 25 episodes a year. And these are like 25 movies. It's not really a sitcom where, you know, you can just set up a situation, write a bunch of jokes. I'm not saying writing a sitcom is is easy, far from right. it. But this is really like there's so much. you got to come up with 25 different supernatural things, right? And there's a reality of production where you don't have all the scripts when you start shooting. So it seems like they were waiting on Stephen King's script. It came in. They had to shoot the episode in four weeks or whatever it was. And so they just kind of did a pretty quick rewrite to get it out the door. That's what it seems like. Could um, be. Yeah. And, and, and especially, you know, with the X-Files, the best episodes did come from, like, their stable of writers. The outside writers never really delivered it. Right. Um, and so it feels like it had a lot stacked against it. Um, has Stephen King talked about this episode at all? He must have, but not not that I dug up in, like, just a brief, like, a brief Google search, you know? It sounds to me like he was really happy to do this just based on the reading between the lines and what I remember from that X-Files companion book and also, you know, what I'm reading on the wiki, which has got to be 100% factually accurate yeah, because uh, it's on Wikipedia. Yes. Um, the reading between the lines, like my impression is that he was gung ho and really happy to do this. He turned in his thing and they said, this isn't going to work. And they rewrote him and he goes, cool, fair enough. And then just like, ignores it for the rest of his career yeah that that's what i'm getting from all this ah uh, yeah so it's mid-roll time and you know what that means it's time to talk about one of our favorites Lumi labs yes they are the kings of microdosing, and i want to tell you a little story scott little yes. little tale from uh recent activity you wouldn't know this because you you know you abandoned austin it, it, yes. By the way, we miss you here. I will uh, be back soon. The the city is is less weird with you here, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but since you've been gone, guess whose sleep schedule has been all sorts of screwed up again? That's right. It's my sleep schedule. So early this week, I was doing the thing. I had a really raging bout of insomnia, and I didn't go to bed till like 10 a.m. It was awful. It totally screws up my, my sleep. But you know what I did uh, just last night? I took the last of my Lumi gummies that I had on me and guess who went to bed at a normal hour? That's right. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've said over and over again that these Lumi gummies are kind of a godsend for me. Like when I get into those sleep problems, they relax me and they get me to bed in a, and they don't give me those kind of screwed up dreams that you get. I don't know if you've ever taken melatonin, but like when I take melatonin, yeah. I get like really vivid dreams and sometimes those dreams aren't going to be very pleasant. So, so, uh, these things have been my favorite sleep aid and, um, and yeah, we've talked about it a lot. Essentially, if you're new to the show and don't know about Lumi labs, they are these little THC gummies. They're made with synthetic THC. So you can get them no matter what state you're in, no matter what the marijuana laws of your state is. Uh, and they are not designed to get you high off your ass. They are designed to keep you chill, to relax you. Uh, that's where the microdosing thing comes in. So you're not supposed to take these and be floating in the clouds. You're supposed to take them and, uh, you know, just be relaxed and chill Chill out. Yeah. And that is why it works so well for me as a sleep aid. And I am so grateful. And I'm really scared now that I'm out of my Lumi gummies that uh, I'm going to fall back into my bad uh, sleep habits. But 
I can tell you that this product works for me. I'm very happy with it. Uh, and if you want to learn more about it or microdosing, you can go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see and you want to buy some of that stuff and you damn well should, you can use the promo code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. That's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. Now, with all of that said, let's get back to the show. Yeah, just going back to what you were like, Watching the episode and it not feeling like King, the telltale sign for that is in the character work because it, in even like the worst King stuff, the characters pop. There's something about them. There's some personality. Even if the actor doesn't do it right, there's going to be some dialogue or just some situation like the cop that's, you know, trying to protect the uh, uh, the mother right. that also has been eyeing her for for a long time and had a shot with her once before and blew it or whatever. Like that that cop in any other if that was fully written by King, I would have expected that to have been a much more colorful character, either a much more emotionally um, affecting character or at least. Kind something of a other than just maybe doofus, like that. something he, he would have gone <clears throat> extreme in one way or the other. And he's just so middle of the road. And then he goes from being like, I want to protect you to being quasi abusive towards the end. It was, re- it was really odd. Like it, there just wasn't a, it didn't ring, have the ring of a Stephen King character to me. And that, that would be, have been the one that I think would have stood out as, as been like a kind of a classic King, you know, Judd from pet cemetery or, you know, have some sort of like, real main feeling because it, it feels more like like these are all you know canadians playing mainers you know well mm-hmm. that's unavoidable yeah that's that the show has that the entire time what right. the show has done really well that i noticed you know on my most recent rewatch is they cast the show pretty well so even though yeah. they're getting sort of locals who aren't you know huge names or anything um, they're getting people who are doing a great job with their roles for the most part um, and, and, and this, you know, you guys are Stephen King experts and it's interesting to hear your perspective on it as a piece of, you know, Stephen King's work as an X-Files, I would say this episode is sort of, um, uh, it's not, there are X-Files episodes that are less good than this. So I would say that this is sort of like a middle of the road X-Files episode. This is not a bad X-Files episode by any mm. means. It's sort of one of those ones where you're like, huh, okay, that was an episode. There are some that are not that many, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show, but in season one, while they're still figuring out the voice, there are some episodes of the X-Files that are definitely like clunkers. Right. I would not call this one a clunker. I would call it sort of a an uninteresting episode mm. of the X-Files. There's some good stuff in it. You know, the gore is good. I thought some of the Mulder Scully stuff was good. Mulder had funny stuff. You know, this is when they're yeah. referencing that he's a porn addict. So there's funny stuff with that. They take a shot at Fox with, he's like, I'm watching the world's greatest uh, swarms. Because, uh-huh. you know. Fox was doing that at the time. I thought the pencil gags at the end were were fun. Yeah. Um, so there's good stuff between the two of them. Um, obviously, you know, Jillian Anderson and Duchovny are going to be great. And their dynamic makes sense. There are some episodes where they're sort of acting really out of character. Right. Um, so this is not a... It's, it's sort of like a fine episode of The X-Files. Not do, like a... Yeah. Do you think it would have been better if both Mulder and Scully were were on the case 
Yeah, I think that's always better because they have such great chemistry and they're so good together. And yeah. if Agreed. there are sometimes they're separated and there's a reason for it beyond the realities of production. Sometimes they're not together and it's an interesting way to explore them alone or their dynamic in the absence of you know each other's company. There are a lot of episodes that do a really great job with that. Um, there are episodes that, um, you know, Scully and Mulder will go off on their own and then it really becomes a character piece for them on their own. Uh, there are fantastic episodes of that. This feels like it was just Duchovny saying, hey, guys, can I have an easy month? Can I have an easy <laughs> right. couple of weeks? And they're like, OK, which I know they were asking for. And I think that they were entitled to it because they were shooting, you know, eight or nine months out of the year. There's just nothing gained from them being separate. There are great episodes where they're separated, but but it, you really learn something about them individually or together. Here, that that opportunity is not taken. It's just sort of played for a couple gags. Right. By by this point, remind me is is like Scully like way more open to uh, the paranormal than she was before because I know that it took a few seasons for the like the skeptic believer thing to well, kind of find a middle ground but like she goes right from like trying to figure out like oh is this autistic kid just doing something to uh, like throwing the doll in, right in the fucking microwave the second that she you know she busts through that door and, and you know in right. that situation and it's not like, treated as a character moment or anything right. it's just treated as she figured it out I thought that th- I think that stuff of uh, Scully of Mulder as it's interesting because Mulder's a believer in, a, in the supernatural and Scully's Scully has faith Scully's religious right. Right. Um, so that was that was interesting, but this show didn't really explore that. No. And I know that the knock against X Files is, you know, how many times is she going to see these things and not believe? But I felt like this this episode didn't really do like a great job of trying to trying to explore that. She just right. it, it's almost played for laughs, you know, where where yeah. you say, it, where do you know about witchcraft? And then she lists a hundred things. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. played for laughs. Like the I I think that flipping the script where Scully is the uh, the believer here. You know, and everyone else is the skeptic. I think that's the gag. I just yes. don't think it's written in a very funny way. And there's there's some shit on the Wikipedia about when Anderson was. I'll just here during filming. Jillian Anderson struggled with delivering her lines. She explained the way the script was originally read to me initially seemed to me as if Scully kind of stepped up to the plate and played along with the sheriff's humor. Thus, she performed her lines in a tongue-in-cheek manner before Carter called her and told her that her lines were not meant to be humorous. He also informed her that the uh, production staff was having to edit out a lot of stuff to correct the issue. Oh, that's kind right. of... that's You don't want to hear that. Right, but <laughs> it, that does seem to be part of the gag that they were going for here. And I'm I'm more willing to believe that it was a gag because of the cutaways to Mulder. Because every it, it's like a rule of three three thing with him, right? Like you set up that yes, he's watching porn, then he's dribbling the basketball, then he's doing the pencils in the in the ceiling. These are the times we see him. He gets those three like sort of not quite showcase scenes, but like those are the scenes they filmed with Duchovny. Um, they're all intended to be humorous. I think that King was trying to inject humor into this, but it's hard to really know, like, given the fact that Carter rewrote it, it's it's kind of hard to know, like, how much of that is him, how much of that is King. 
Oh, so, so you're so you're you're positing that King wrote it uh, as funny, which it certainly reads that way. That's how Gillian Anderson read it, but Chris Carter did not read it as that. So now you have yes. this weird tonal thing mm. where it's sort of stuck in the middle. That's interesting. Could you be. know, I think Chris Carter was a great writer. Obviously, created the X Files. He was at his best doing the mythology episodes, the big overarching alien mm-hmm. abductiony episodes. Um, he didn't really do very many of these standalones. And those episodes do tend to be more serious, whereas the Monster of the Week ones generally have a bit more banter between um, Mulder and Scully and all that. So it's interesting. Maybe it's just not his voice. Could mm. be. Or it's just probably what the truth is, is it's somewhere between yeah. Stephen King and Chris Carter. And it just, if it had been fully one way or the other, maybe it would stand out more. But uh yeah, it does. It does feel. It feels like it's. It's like you know, you you mix uh, two sodas at the, you know, at, at the uh, the soda fountain. At, oh, you the know, kamikaze. Yeah, yeah, and and well, sometimes the it goes together stuff. great. Sometimes, uh, maybe not the best concoction. Camille, <laughs> did they have a name for that where you grew up? Like, if you put all the sodas together in one thing, um, wasn't it called a suicide? It what did did overseas? Were you calling it a suicide? I think so. I mean, really? I, that's that's what I remembered it as. Uh, I've heard it as suicide or kamikaze, but I expected y'all to have a, a new term. But No, not that I know of. Or maybe I just heard it when I first moved here. You know, I was... I'll, I was I'm not a guy who mixes his sodas. I When I eat something... No, disgusting. On my plate, the foods don't touch. You know, I have like... Yeah. I'm like very... I don't want to say OCD because that's a real thing, but I'm very particular about not mixing things. So so it'll be like if I go to like a Pakistani restaurant with friends who aren't Pakistani, if I see them mixing things that that aren't supposed to be mixed, I will call them out on it and tell them not to do it, even if it's bringing them joy. How do you determine the line of what is supposed to be mixed? I know in my heart. <laughs> you know it when you see it. Yeah, man, it's like porn. You know it when you see it. <laughs> but if you get like, let's say you get a, a steak, with some mashed potatoes and some broccoli. Yes. Let's say maybe, you don't know, there's some gravy on the potatoes. Yeah. If the gravy touches the broccoli, do you that, not want to eat it? No, that's okay. I think if you order a dish and everything comes on one plate, then I will try the first bite with everything together because it's yes. meant to be together. But gravy from another thing on my steak, I won't even fucking try that. No matter how much I love mm. the sauce on the chicken, it's not going on the steak. Mm. What do you mean gravy from another thing? Like if, I, some, if I've ordered, if I've got a steak uh, with its own sauce and then Emily's got chicken with the sauce and I try her sauce and I love her sauce, I will not put that sauce on my steak. Oh, I see. So you're saying meant. like, yes. just in, in thinking in Thanksgiving terms, you wouldn't put turkey gravy on a steak. No, I'm in a prison of my own making. No, I think that's fair. I, it doesn't make sense. You would want the, the gravy to be... In my mind, I was picturing a, a, a brown gravy on this, like something mm. with beef stock or something. Correct. Right. Correct. Yes. Eric, yes. where do you fall on this very serious issue? <laughs> uh, I used to mix foods a lot when I was a kid. Like, I would... I would get like, you know, fill up my cereal bowl with like a half bowl of like kicks and another half bowl of like frosted flakes. And yeah, that's baller as shit. Yeah, oh my I, God. 
I um, do that. Um, and I also, before it became like kind of common knowledge, I swear to God, nobody told me this and I discovered it on my own. This is the fucking peak fat kid thing I can tell you. But uh, I Dicks discovered and vaginas. I, I discovered dipping uh, my McDonald's French fry into the uh, milkshake was fucking delicious. And I don't know <laughs> why in my why in my you know now we you know everybody is kind of aware of like oh salt salty and sweet you know they go together um but like back then i thought i'd fucking like broken the the food code like the food pyramid was toppled when when that happened right it's like this isn't supposed to happen why am i putting this warm you know salty french fry in into my vanilla shake in you know coming out of you know out of it like with the best taste in my mouth uh i was just like i i thought i'd like broken the world at that point um but no, I don't do that. Like hardly, I don't do that. Like I definitely don't do that kind of experimentation anymore. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not as uh, as uptight about it as Kumail is. Um, I, I just am don't quite uptight about it. He's very it's uptight. True. Very I also uptight. I'll say one real quick thing. I think it probably comes from having someone in my life who did not li- who I did not like who used to mix up. I'm learning Ooh. recently that every that so much of who I am was in opposition to someone from my life, and they used to mix up everything on their plate. And for me, everything has to be separate. But I'm also watch this, guys. Watch me mm, do this. Mm. Also, same with movies and TV. I have a tough time when two different things come together. I don't mean like genres come together. I love that. But here, the fact that to me, it seemed like there were two unconnected X-Files in the Mm. same house. Um, And I don't know where we landed on that. Is the doll magic and giving her power? That, I guess, would sort of make sense. But there's no indication of it. That really bugged me as I was watching it. I was like, these are two different sort right. of unconnected things like a woman who can see someone's death that's an interesting story and a doll that can control people and make them hurt themselves that could be an interesting story i just didn't think they went together much like you know chicken gravy on stick i just if anybody- I, i'm not on board with this thing y'all are pitching about the, you know her powers being separate from the doll's powers i think the doll is giving her the visions Mm. I mean that that I don't think she's a witch. I think she may be related, but you know, once again, the people killed at the Salem witch trials were not witches because witches don't exist, right? But then, well, neither do killer dolls. But in this in this world, they're positing that that in the world of the X Files, it can possibly you can kick a killer doll in the face, and that's why it's better. Well, that's why but, you would rather go up against a killer doll than a real witch. I, I understand that. that yeah, I'm not. Very, I'm not. That's very pragmatic. Yes, uh, but uh, I think you're. I mean, listen. I think if we'd seen anybody else having those visions, like if we saw Scully envision the the mother's death instead of the mother, you know, seeing her own death, you know, at the end. Uh, then I then I would be like, oh, yeah, it's definitely the doll, you know, just forcing those around them to have visions. But since it's just her and that mother is given that backstory being related to the witches, I think that that's at least implied enough for me to to make that leap, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way, because even if you're right, Wampler, I don't think the episode did a good enough job of communicating that. Fair. Um, th- I mean, there fair. were ways to do it. I mean, she... It just felt really, to me, it felt shoehorned in just to have like more mm. creepy stuff happen in yeah, yeah. in the thing. And X-Files generally has been really, you know, 
fairly airtight about each of the supernaturally things that they that they handle every every week. There was one there's an episode I really like that actually does something that really bugs me. It's an episode called Detour. And mm. it's about they go on this um it's about this office retreat. It's a really funny episode and it's a really great episode, but it's got a big logical problem in the in the at the center of it. They're there. They're on this office retreat. There's a bunch of like funny team building office type jokes. Uh, and then they sort of get hunted by these camouflaged um, creatures that are sort of humanoid, but they look like grass or, or whatever, or, you know, whatever's behind them. They can camouflage themselves. And they say that they are humans that are evolved, that have been that have evolved to like live in that environment because right. who was it that was looking for the fountain of youth? Um, Ponce de Leon. So Ponce de Leon, they say it's Ponce de Leon found the fountain of youth and his people found the fountain of youth and they've been alive since then. And since they've, since then they've evolved to become these creatures who can camouflage themselves in the woods, but that doesn't work because evolution works through generations, right? There's mutation. So if somebody's alive for 200 years, their body is not going to change. Maybe, you know, 200 generations later, their body would change. Mm. In fact, if anything, someone becoming immortal would prevent evolution. So even though I love that episode, that little like logical thing really, really bugged me. And it keeps me from like recommending that episode to people. But all right. but all this to say, when I watch X-Files, I'm sort of looking for all these I'm I'm usually impressed by how airtight this stuff is. It's got a logical consistency, um, um, and it and it keeps that you know it it's 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 important to the show that all that stuff makes sense. So when it doesn't, it really stands out. It doesn't feel entirely like an X Files episode to me, and I I think a lot of that has to do with you know everything you just said, plus also this the the production history on this thing where it. it sounds like it got massacred on its way to uh filming can i i think that's true can i can i make a public service announcement sure and nobody ever listens to me about this i have not (laughs) had one fucking person listen to me about this but it's very important that trust me i'm i'm an i am an x-files expert yes people may watch this episode uh, listen to this episode and say wow i love that show i want to revisit it let me start watching it from the beginning again there are certain episodes you need to skip especially in season one because you're gonna hit three bad episodes in a row Mm-hmm. And then you're going to stop watching. It's happened so many times. I've had friends who are like, I've never seen X-Files. I just started watching it. I'm three episodes in. It's fantastic. And I'm like, don't watch the fourth episode. Don't watch the fifth episode. Especially season one, you'll hit a run of like weak episodes and it'll just like, you'll just stop watching. And that's what happened to this friend. I said, I'll send you the episodes to watch. Watch those. Don't watch the ones that don't tell you to watch. You're not missing anything. So I'll say this. Like, for instance, I'm looking at the first season right now. Um, so if people want to revisit, please do. It's a fantastic show. Watch the pilot. Watch episode two. Watch episode three. Skip episodes four, five, <laughs> six, seven. I'm serious. This is a public service announcement. I am right about this. Come back, watch episode eight, Ice. It's a riff on the thing. It's a really, really great episode. Skip episode nine. I'm telling you, skip episode nine, even though it seems like it's going to be like something that goes into the large <laughs> mythology. Don't do it. 
Episode 10 is a fantastic episode, Fallen Angel. Watch that one. Episode 11, great episode. Watch that one. Episode 12, not a great episode, but you can watch it. It's pretty fun. Episode 13, Brad Dourif. How many episodes are there? There's there's so many, man. There's so many. (laughs) There's like 24 in season one. You know what's funny about you talking about this is I recently went back to... I got curious to uh, I I got it in my head. I was like, I'm going to listen back to the show from oh, the very no. beginning. Oh, no. And see what that sounds like. And I <laughs> I went back and I listened to the the very first episode of the show, which, Kamel, you know, you were uh, the guest on. It is awful. And it's it has <laughs> it, it's not because of you. It's because of us. We had no fucking idea what we were doing. I could not stand uh, like I, I some people can't like listen to the sound of their own voice it freaks them out i'm used to it by now this wasn't that it was it was a matter of like truly not knowing what we were doing and sort of feeling that out and hearing that in comparison to what this show has become over the past three years uh i i understand what you're saying you gotta yeah. you gotta be careful with those early apps and so that's yeah. where you're we're finding your footing and and uh, I we we hear from people sometimes that are like, I just found out about this show. I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm like, don't. No. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go like six months in, and, yeah, and then you'll find the groove. Yeah, the, same of the things. It's so true on a show because you know you're figuring out what your podcast voice voices are together. Right. Right. Same with the X Files, right? These two, you have these two amazing actors. Um. They haven't worked with them before. So you're figuring out how they work individually. And you're figuring out that they have this amazing dynamic and chemistry. And how do you write to that? And you're also figuring out a show like this. A show like The X-Files can be very flexible, right? In terms of the kinds of stories you can tell. Because it encompasses so much of uh, Supernatural. It can have like a crazy scientist episode and a ghost episode and an alien episode and a voodoo episode. And so you're sort of figuring out what the show is and what the show isn't. Um, And season one especially has a few episodes that you realize like, oh, they realize that this is not what it is. So I'm going to say really quickly, just the numbers of number of episodes you you should watch. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can in in season one. You should watch (laughs) one, two, three, eight, 10, 11, 13, 17, 20, <laughs> 21, 24. Watch those. Very well. And then Perfect. come back to me for season two. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kamel, Great. we uh we thank you so much for being here today. I think uh well I'm I'm wrapping this up. Eric, did you have did you have another question you wanted to ask? No, no, I think uh I think we're we're good to go. I think we've we've determined uh, everything we can about Chinga uh, as an episode. And, Why is it uh, called Chinga? Oh, well, that's one thing that we didn't determine. Uh, do you know, Scott? Uh, well, I don't know why it's called Chinga, but I do know that neither Chris Carter nor Stephen King knew that uh, Chinga was uh, a bad word in, well, Spanish, Mexican, what Mexican Spanish. Yes, it means fuck. You know, um, I I've spent most of my life in Texas. I'm well familiar with the word <laughs> chinga, uh, chinga to madre. 
for instance. Oh, right, right, right. Which right, means right, fuck right. your mother. You I know, guess if uh, I saw a little girl with a magical doll that made me hurt myself, I would say fuck. Yeah. Although hmm. pinche also means also it doesn't matter. So they were completely unaware this that this was an offensive term somehow hmm. in another language, and they renamed the episode when it aired overseas. And they called uh, it no chinga. <laughs> give me a give me a second to find it on the Wikipedia because it's a very funny uh, substitute title. It's weird because it's not set in Mexico or no. like amongst <laughs> Spanish speaking people. Yeah, no. and, the, and the name never comes up in the course of the the episode, right? No, no. Appar- apparently, it also means a cigar stub. Or the end of a cigarette. Oh, here it is. Um, in the UK, this episode was known as Bung Honey. <laughs> what? Like a, bung a hole, big... but what? with with honey at the end instead of hole. That big sounds impo- like. Big I was say, that sounds guys. like one of one of uh, one of Kumail's uh, alternate uh, sugar substitutes to cure a cigarette. <laughs> It'll cure your hiccups with no calories. Bug honey. It doesn't Just... go in your mouth, but you like it. <laughs> Just 10 packets of bung honey generously applied to the anal cavity will, will cure your hiccups at any time. What the fuck? Bung honey? Is that a term? Is that a term from a like a king book or something? Because it seems like something he might say. It does, but um let me let me <laughs> I Google Bung Honey. And uh, the first result is uh Shingo, the X Files, Wikipedia. Um I'm seeing no reference to this anywhere else. Ah. Uh-huh. It's all X Files shit. Um Yeah, I think they just straight up uh invented a word. Well what, you just call it creepy doll or something i i don't i don't get it but uh x-files had some pretty lofty like names of episodes there was a lot of latin and that kind of stuff um (laughs) so so this sort of fits in i guess like they didn't always have anything to do with it oh i found another little trivia the name of the boat in this episode is working girl which is probably a reference to the movie in which david duchovny made a Ah. made an appearance by the way Working Girl is a fantastic movie. Totally yeah, holds up. I thought you were going to say it's because Melanie Griffith was killed by an evil doll. But, <laughs> but you think Clea yeah, Duvall and Melanie Griffith are dead? I don't know what's going on, man. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Well, Kamel, well, uh, this is usually the point in our show where we allow our guests to, you know, draw attention to themselves. This is a self promo corner. So, where can people find you? What are you working on next? All that stuff. Uh, hype, up the, am, hype up the crowd for, for more Kamel. I am not allowed to say what I'm working on next. I, I assume it'll Eternals be announced two. so soon. Coming in Eternals, hot and fast. Eternals 2, Eternals 3, and Eternals 4. We've decided to shoot them all mm-hmm. back to back in a weekend in my house on my iPhone. <laughs> um, I can't get Angelina Jolie to text me back, but everyone else is down. Do you have um, Angelina Jolie's phone number? Yes. You text her? I do not text her. But if I did, she would respond. I'm just too intimidated by her. I do text Selma. She's mm. 
I just, you know, I. I what do you text Selma about? Random stuff. She'll text me if she sees something or thinks of something. I'll text her. I run oh, into her here. Oh, hold, oh, hold on. Like a movie or like a book or music or what What are y'all talking about? <laughs> Probably a movie or something like mm-hmm. that or just like a check-in. Um, you know, her and I got fairly close <laughs> over filming. Just checking in with Salma Hayek. <laughs> I mean, you know, we became friends. Um, Never mind. Because she was very much on that movie, the person who was like having people over, having dinners. Right. She was sort of like, you know, she's the mom of the group in the movie and she was kind of the mom of the group in real life too. Um, right. I I ran into her just maybe three weeks ago or something. Um, she's lovely. Angelina's absolutely lovely too. I just don't. Sure. The weirdest one was <laughs> we... When we were doing the movie, I, I, when we were doing the premiere, um, Disney wasn't allowed to have official after parties. And so I contacted Selma to be like, hey, we should do one. And she was like, great. And then I got a call and it was a three-way conversation. It was me, Angelina Jolie, and Selma Hayek. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Camille sandwich. Yes. Yeah. This is pretty, pretty... Pretty exciting too. Well, what did you age. do? What did you do for your party? We had one illegally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what you what did you do at the party? They gathered some. Were you honey. doing Pictionary? Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, we had free, we had free bung honey for everybody. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure people. I don't understand your life. Like you're you're talking <laughs> about like you know yeah I was on a group call with Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie planning a party like i need details like what is happening at this party it's very (laughs) much a normal party that you've been to except angelina jolie and selma hayek are there jesus christ imagine a party like a fangoria party but also those two are there (laughs) cool yeah those those two things sound totally equal um i've been to a fangoria party where we had the director of puppet master eight um, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah but you, yeah, you've got Angelina Jolie and Sama. Uh, that's why I'm a podcast host. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much for having me, guys. This was very fun. It was a good chance to revisit. I haven't seen an episode in a while, so so thanks for having me. Yes, of well, course. Yeah, Anytime. we were psyched to have oh, you back. I'll tell you what to plug. Um, I can't say what I'm working on next. But uh, I think it'll get announced soon. But watch Welcome to Chippendales. It's on Hulu. It's free. It's eight episodes. It's basically oh, it's a really story. fucking good. Really. Super good. Yeah. Thank you. Both you guys watched it. That was very nice of you. And yeah. all your listeners watch. I'm, I'm very proud of the show. It's a real true story of the rise of Chippendales and people got murdered. It's a really crazy story. So, so watch that. That's what I I'm thought watching. it was kind of funny on that show that. They were trying to hide the fact, it seemed to me, like via the costumes, that you are still cut up and beefy. I gained about 25 pounds of It didn't fat work. For it. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm less beefy than I've ever been. I, I, I had to bring it, bring it down for this next role. But so, what do you mean so that guess, you've ever been? I've seen you circa. Not 19. ever. In yeah. the last four years. In the last four years. Let me let me rephrase. Good catch. Good do you catch. do you do you feel all right with that? Like do you do you have any I don't know. Like are you interested in like just 
exploring being a piece of shit again or are you <laughs> are you are you like committed to that like are you addicted to the working out i'm addicted to the working out but i it has been much better for my mental well-being to not be as obsessed with what i'm eating and what i'm not eating yeah that right on. that that ended up being a little bit unhealthy um so this working out but you know kind of eating what i want most of the time i think is a much healthier way to be Right on. Well, as long as you're happy, you're happy. You know, we're happy. Yeah, uh, Mulder and Scully, Scully are happy. Uh, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming back, man. It's it's been, uh, it, it's not been a long time since we've talked. We talk all, pretty much every day, but it's been a long time since you've been on the show, and and we've missed your voice around here. So yeah. So thanks back, for coming, guys. Back. Just let me know anytime. I'm I'm always happy to talk to you guys about <clears> King. <throat> Many thanks to Kumail Nanjiani for once again gracing this podcast with his presence. I I love Kumail. He's he's one of the yeah. good ones, and he's, uh, he's just so good. He's so a good, good dude. And yeah, we, we need finally that got that uh, scratched off our to do list. That's through, right. You know, getting a chinga taken care of. Um, I was I did not realize. I knew people have been asking about it, but I was not. Um, I guess I wasn't prepared for how many people were excited about it. Uh, right. uh, us covering this one because when we announced this episode people went ape shit yeah uh like a lot of them like it, it, it broke over into the like x-file sphere of social <laughs> media and we got a, a flood of new followers as a result of it so welcome new people if you're listening yes. to this uh that will be our only x-files episode but uh we hope you enjoyed the show and stick around yeah definitely and speaking of things that we are crossing off of our list that we haven't done before uh next week is a title that we haven't done before and that is dance macabre you might uh go wait a minute that's some deja vu that i'm i'm sensing right now because if you listen to last week's outro dance macabre was supposed <laughs> to be this week's episode uh but then our recording of that episode got pushed uh right at the last minute so that happens sometimes you know there's a little bit of a delay between recording and releasing and that kind of stuff can happen but uh that episode uh once again we haven't recorded it yet so maybe there'll be another delay uh but right we're just now gonna, we're just gonna tease dance macabre every week until this guest <laughs> until shows we do up. it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna just have to turn that's gonna be our own matt damon there I apologize to, for bumping dance macabre for jenga yeah. um yeah, so, uh, but that is the plan right now is Dance Macabre. I've been going back through uh, that book. It's uh, it's really fun. It's really interesting. It's it's odd because it's a very early King book. It's a nonfiction book, if you haven't read it, where he's talking about the history of horror literature and cinema. Um, and he published that, I think, in like 1980. So it's like in that era where he was just going, yeah, I'll crap out of The Stand or The Dead Zone or, you know, The Shining. You know, that's just kind of he's in that mindset. It's a it's a really fascinating kind of time capsule for King. Um, but we're going to dig into that with a director. He's a horror director. He, uh, he has a movie that is currently in theaters and uh, that you are definitely aware of. And uh, and yeah, we're supposed to record that a little bit later this week. So unless that gets pushed again. That will be what's on deck this coming Wednesday. Fingers crossed. And uh, this week, of course, we will have a brand new bonus episode for you on the Patreon this coming Friday. Um, We are uh, we haven't decided which bonus episode we're going to run this week, so don't worry about that. But we will tell you that uh, if you are not already subscribed to the Patreon, you are, you know, maybe letting yourself down a little bit. 
Mm. Uh, you're only getting half the show. There's all kinds of stuff going on over there all the time. Some of it's, uh, some of it's a little ridiculous or silly, and some of it's a lot more straightforward. Some of it's commentaries, some of it's interviews, some of it's just flat out curveballs that, you know, months later, we're not really able to justify having thrown in the <laughs> first place. But, you know, you're always going to get something on Friday. So if you're a fan of the show and you'd like to support it, and you'd like double the amount of content that you're currently getting listening to the main feed, please stop by over at patreon.com backslash the Kingcast and uh, and sign up in one of our tiers. We'll uh, we will make sure you are entertained uh, doubly so every week. For sure. And that also gets you access to our discord where you can pester oh, yeah. us in person if you want. It's uh I guess not in person. What's the, what's it's not, <laughs> I don't know exactly what it is, but it is a step closer to interacting with us than just like commenting on Twitter. So I don't know what that area is, but that's what discord is. And if you want to hear us bullshit, you want to get kind of an inside scoop. We'll talk about some stuff with the folks over there about what's going on with the show. Sign up for the, the Patreon, get access to that discord, baby. Yeah. 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 It's Sweet. uh, it's good stuff over there. I, I pop in there once or twice a day just to see what's going on. Hell yeah. Um, thriving community over there. Love it. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll see y'all next week for dance macabre, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to fucking say. I think we're done. Are we done here? I think we're done. We here. are done. We are Fuck done yeah. here. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. We're good done. night. Everyone. Goodbye. The King cast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted and created by Eric Vespi. That's me. And Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 